Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, and welcome to this week's episode of The Quarterdeck. This week in our hero highlights, we're going to take a look at the life and the heroism of Private First Class Henry Girk. We are also going to go ahead and continue with our reading of With the First Marine Division in Iraq of 2003, No Greater Friend, No Worst Enemy. The last time that we talked about the First Marine Division, we talked about how they were using Legos to go ahead and conduct the drills to be able to rehearse the plan that they were going to conduct once they headed into Iraq. This week, we're going to talk about the NBC rehearsals, nuclear, biological, and chemical rehearsals that they were going to use in order to prevent any casualties or anything in the event of when Saddam Hussein was to use weapons of mass destruction, more in general, chemical weapons. And to prevent this, the division went to extreme measures to ensure that these kinds of weapons or anything like that would be able to be detected and protect the Marines of the 1st Marine Division. Drop and give me 25. I'm the gunny. It's, it's time for the gunny. The quarter deck. Lights, lights, lights. Get in line right now. You got 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1, 0. Hello, my bunch of knuckle-dragging, beer-drinking, hard-charging devil dogs. You're listening to The Quarterdeck. I am your host, Miguel, the Gunny Signs. Get out the bus! I do solemnly swear. I do solemnly swear. That I will support you. Yes, The Constitution of the United States. United States. Against all enemies, foreign and domestic. The Quarter Deck. Hello, good morning, and welcome everybody back to this week's episode of The Quarter Deck. And if you are a new listener, welcome. Welcome to our show because we are always grateful to go ahead and have you here with us every week to go ahead and share some of the stories, some of the history of everything that we have here on The Quarter Deck. Well, this week has been kind of slow. Not because, you know, there hasn't been nothing to do, but simply because, I don't know, the week's kind of drug out. It's drug out a little bit because, well, for one, I don't work anymore, so my days get kind of confusing every once in a while. I want to kind of give everybody just a quick update on what's been going on with the reconstruction of the house. Last week, we talked about how they were getting everything gutted and everything and all that stuff out of the house, and the garage is officially gone. It's gone completely. There is no more garage in the whole entire house. Uh, Yesterday, I stopped by there real quick, and they had everything out of the house regarding all the wiring and all those things that they were going to go ahead and pull out. The only thing left for them to do today is going to be removing all the gas uh, piping. Get all that gas piping out of there so they can go ahead and have everything completely done. And either today or tomorrow, he said that they're going to start everything with the roof. Of course, the first thing they're going to do is go ahead and take off all the tiling that's there on the roof. Take it off so this way they can go ahead and take the trussles and everything apart. So that's where we're at with that. But let's talk about something a little bit different. I was... Going through my TikTok page this week, and I came up on a post that was kind of interesting. Not interesting in a good way, but let me tell you guys the backstory with this. I have a very good friend of mine that they just recently moved over to North Carolina. The wife is a veteran. She was a Marine Corps veteran, and he is still on active duty, and they have two wonderful kids. They have a young daughter and a young son. But let me get to the point. They live down there in Topsail, North Carolina. There's a, it's a beach town. It's a beach town where everybody kind of goes to the beach, and it's normal for the kids to go down there to the beach on a daily basis, kind of like going to the mall. 
you know, and the way she explained it is simply in this town is the kids going down to the beach on a daily basis for them getting dropped off by the parents. It's no different than going to the movies or going to the mall. That's just what they do there in this particular town because there's nothing else really to do. So let me get to the point, though. So on this particular day, they dropped the daughter and the son and a couple of her friends at the beach. And, you know, it's just a typical day at the beach and stuff like that. But what they noticed was that there was a small group of, let's say, they were boots. The daughter actually called them boots because she knew that they were young Marines because they had their little backpacks. You can see the little Marine Corps moto tattoos that they had. And, of course, the haircut. But these Marines were taking pictures. They were taking pictures of girls on the beach, and they were zooming in particularly on their butts. Now, what got to me was that they were doing this to them. Now, mind you that she's only 13 years old. Or, excuse me, she's 14. Her friend is 12. And they were doing this to these young girls. I mean, these are Marines, grown-ass men doing things like this. And it wasn't until her friend, the 12-year-old, actually confronted them about it and told them, hey, you know, you need to stop what you're doing. I'm only 12 years old. And, you know, to me, that's, wow. You know, Marines don't do these kind of things, but of course there's always going to be those 10% of Marines that do things like this. But I don't know, you guys tell me, what do you guys think? What do you guys think of the subject? To me, that is something that needs to be addressed. And come on, commanders, you guys need to continue to have your safety briefs and talk to these Marines. I don't know what the heck is going on through their brain housing group. Now, of course, the first thing that popped in my mind is that, hey, my friend needs to find out who the heck these are, and they need to go to the command and let them know exactly what the heck they are doing. But that's the easy way. Me? I would have gone down there. I'll go down there with them the next time that they go and sit there with them at a distance and just kind of observe. And if this happens again, oh, my goodness. It's about time for me to click off safe and go ahead and let them know exactly what's on my mind because that kind of behavior is just simply inappropriate. And especially coming from a young group of Marines, I don't know where the heck their drone structures, their command, where the heck were, where did they fail? That's the main thing. Where did they fail in their leadership to make sure that individuals don't do these kind of things? Now, I know and I understand there's always going to be 10%. There's going to be individuals that do whatever the hell they want to do regardless. So that's beyond anybody's control, beyond the command's control. It's not the commanding officer's fault. These individuals came into the Marine Corps with this kind of mentality. And a small group of them put together, of course, peer pressure. Things are going to be done that normally not every one of them actually do. But hey, I can't say that it is what it is in this kind of subject because... It is completely inappropriate, and I just found it disturbing that people have to actually say something about things that shouldn't be happening, especially by service members. Not only just these Marines, but any service member that is out there. They should kind of be taking care of situations like that, and they're the ones that, if they see anybody doing things like that, they need to confront them and let them know, hey, the hell are you doing these are young girls out here you need to stop what the hell you're doing or we're going to call the freaking police and let them know exactly what you're doing and what's going on and especially if they had the pictures on their damn freaking cell phone you know to me whatever it is what it is to me and they would have definitely 
gotten a straight ass chewing because of what they were doing. If not, they damn freaking boot and a punch to the damn face. Wouldn't care what the repercussion was, but that kind of thing is completely inappropriate. But you guys let me know. Let me know what you think. Go to our website. Go to our Facebook page, The Quarter Deck with Gunny Signs, and put your comments on there. Let me know what you think about things like this and the way society is doing things because obviously to me, the parents failed these young Marines. They had them for friggin' 12 years of their life to be able to teach them morals, right and wrong, all those different things. And yet, they did not learn a single, a damn thing in those 12 years of their life. And yes, I do blame the parents because it is their fault. It's the parents' fault because they didn't teach them the right way to be able to, to actually respect women, their way of being. And, you know, they need to be reprimanded. They need to make sure that they don't do this kind of crap again. And, you know, the Lord knows that I wish that I was down there in North Carolina because I would go down there with my friend in a freaking heartbeat. And we would go ahead and freaking make sure that this kind of situation wasn't going to happen again. Are you looking for a photographer who can capture the most important moments in your life? Look no further than Miguel Signs Photography. Miguel Signs is an award-winning photographer with a passion for capturing the beauty and emotions of weddings, family portraits, and special events. With years of experience and a creative eye, Miguel Signs will create stunning images that you'll treasure for years to come. Whether you're looking for a traditional wedding album, a unique family portrait, or a professional headshot for your business, Miguel Signs Photography has the expertise to bring your vision to life. From the initial consultation to the final product, Miguel Signs will work with you every step of the way to ensure that your images reflect your unique style and personality. Don't settle for mediocre photographs that simply document an event. Trust Miguel Signs Photography to create timeless images that capture the essence of your special moments. Book your session today and experience the magic of Miguel Signs Photography. Visit Miguel Signs Photography online at miguelsignsphotography.com to see examples of his work and schedule your appointment today. What we're going to do right here is go back, way back, back into time. This week in our Hero Highlights, we're going to take a look at the, what the 1st Marine Division actually did to help to combat the NBC threat, the nuclear, biological, and chemical threat that was put in front of them because Saddam Hussein had the capabilities to use chemical warfare against the division as they moved from into Kuwait as they headed into Baghdad. So let's go ahead and get back to the reading of our book with the 1st Marine Division in Iraq of 2003. No greater friend, no worst enemy. Back in Kuwait, as part of the NBC rehearsal plan, every Marine and sailor in the division attended a mandatory mission-oriented protective posture, or MOP, gear exchange and refresher NBC classes. These classes included instructions on the use of the NBC detection equipment, types of agents, and instructions for establishing a decontamination site. This training took on special seriousness with the Marines of the members of the division as they were given the current intelligence assessment that assumed a chemical attack. Members of the division paid close attention to this training, which demensified the whole NBC environment. For perhaps the first time in Marine Corps history, Marines eagerly stood in line for a mandatory training event. The Marines of the division fully expected to have to operate in a chemical environment 
and were determined not to let it slow them down. One risk of the division prepared for was the effect of the petroleum-used vapors in the detection systems used by the Marine Corps. Although these systems provided accurate and timely agent confirmation, they also gave false positive readings when they became in contact with certain vapors and liquids associated with petroleum products. Contact with petroleum products was a defining feature of the division's battle space, and this limitation was very significant. Any false reading required forces to increase their mop level, pulling on masks and gloves that degraded the performance of the Marines. The division needed to a redundant, reliable chemical detection system that would mitigate false cueing and give greater confidence to Marines standing down from a heightened alert posture. The task of finding a solution for this deficiency fell on Chief Warrant Officer Stacy Jambert, the division's NBC officer. A creative NBC professional, he decided that he assisted of the additional species was required for the weightly responsibility and advocated the use of sentinel species, like a canary, in the coal mine, a living, breathing creature that could be used to provide early indications of NBC agents in the air, even in petroleum-contaminated environments. The division expanded into poultry, and they purchased 200 chickens to aid the NBC detection capability. This sentinel species would likely show symptoms of chemical agents well before detection kits identified the threat. The integration of new Marines into the division was difficult. Several of the birds disappeared immediately, followed by suspicious cooking fires in hidden corners of the camp. Others made their escape from the hands of the inexperienced chicken wranglers and deserted into the desert. Most, however, died before they got to see any combat action due to the extreme climatic conditions. Apparently, the birds sold to the Marines by an enterprising young Kuwaiti were civilized lane hens and not yard birds. When exposed to the daily living conditions of the Marines, these civilized animals quickly broke down and died. The division's next biological experiment was with a more robust hardy species, the homing pigeon. These birds were fielded to the RCTs and separate battalions to reinforce the organic detection capabilities. The survival rate of these birds was much higher because they were used to living in the desert heat and they had much less meat. The Marines even took to naming the birds Pichguido, under the watchful care of Corporal Joshua Hardy from Headquarters Battalion, even made it all the way to Saddam's Palace in Tikrit before he was relieved of his duties and mustered out of service. The Sentinel species concept was validated and illustrated additional confidence of the Marines' ability to operate in the contaminated environment. The skepticism and humor with all this employment was met also provided valuable comic relief at a time of heightened tension. A sense of humor was a critical aspect of courage as Marines prepared to attack into an unknown. In the event that units did come under a chemical attack, they would conduct self-decontamination to the extent as possible. If supporting assistance was required, the task would fall onto the Operational Decontamination Unit task organized under Lieutenant Colonel Rob Abbott's 3rd AA Battalion. In addition to the Division's organic NBC decontamination assets, 3rd AA Battalion had received the 101st Chemical Company from the United States Army. This company specialized in equipment decontamination and was well-organized and equipped. 
Immediately upon being briefed on the scheme of maneuver and concept of operations, the 101st Chemical realized that they would also be expected to do decontamination of personnel as well. After mission analysis and detailed planning, they were told to be prepared to decon chemical casualties, evacuate chemical casualties from AAVs, and bury contaminated remains. Each new mission got a surrounding. hua and the company reviewed the procedure in the manuals or made it up as they went along. At one point, the soldiers of the 101st asked, While we were doing this decon, who was providing our security? The response went, Well, in the Marine Corps, we have a saying that every Marine is a rifleman. Welcome aboard. The hard chargers from the 101st gave another hooah and embarked on a two-week crash course of infantry training. Immediate action to convoy ambushes and basic tactics. The company commander, Captain Kerr, and the first sergeant, Edek, were committed to mission accomplishment. And what the soldiers lacked in formal infantry training, they made up for all of their enthusiasm. A strong bond developed between the two services, and by the end of the campaign, the Marines of the AA Battalion were referring to the 101st Chemical as Devil Doggies. Another addition to the Marines' task organization was six M93A3 nuclear, biological, and chemical reconnaissance systems, or FOX vehicles. Six decon sections from the Joint NBC Regiment of the 1st UK Division were also made available. These units would provide a robust and accurate detection capability. Collectively, the NBC team would be prepared to accurately detect any chemical or biological agents employed by the enemy and conduct operational decontamination as required. With all of this NBC training, this would lead to the rehearsal of the actual concept of what they were planning on doing. Now, if you guys remember, they had brought jerseys in different colors to identify each particular unit, and then they conducted their first uh, actual rehearsal process. Now, the first comprehensive rehearsal for the opening cabinet was held on 7 February in Camp Matilda, Kuwait. Positioned on a gently sloping hillside nestled between sandstone outcroppings, the natural arena was made into a miniaturized version of the southern Iraq and northern Kuwait at a scale large enough for human players to walk through the steps of the actual attack. This was the first of Jersey Drills series that was born from the Lego Drills conducted earlier in Konus. It stunned disbelief, hard-charging terrain model details directed by Master Sergeant Mark Choates and Staff Sergeant Ken Costine watched as the boundaries of the sand table were laid out, 80 meters on each side. The team quickly designated the project of the mother of all terrain models and commenced digging. The hard-charging team spent several days in LSA Matilda constructing a terrain model depicting major terrain features, objectives, enemy units, and control measures. For the first 96 hours of the operation, down to the Kuwait burned an electrical fence. Representatives from the division units attended, as well as key leaders from the 3rd MAW, MEG-1, Force Reconnaissance Company, the UK 1st Armored Division, Task Force, Tarwa, and the MEF. Individual commanders represented their units by doing their respective color and number-coded jerseys and then talked through their initial organization task and purpose. The RCT commanders each talked through the scheme of maneuver, while the subordinate battalion representatives simultaneously walked the terrain model. 
Through a series of exercise turns, the entire Operation Gambit was rehearsed. The exercise successfully orientated participants and attendees to the division's scheme and maneuver and reinforced the commander's intent. The Jersey drill also helped the situational awareness of senior commanders, Major General Stalder, 1MEF Deputy CG, Major General Amos from 3rd Maw, and Rear Admiral Kubik from the MEG, each emphasized in the critical importance of these rehearsal events. General Amos noted that he would have more assets than any other wing in history to support 1MEF ground forces and was glad for the opportunity to gain situational awareness for his air crews. Major General Stalder noted the importance of the drill in helping to integrate 1MEF planning efforts. Now, all these rehearsals, everything that's going on, of course, was very, very important. And especially to us there on the ground, we had to know. We had to understand exactly where each unit was going to be at because the chance that, you know, friendly fire was going to be there was there. It was a, a great factor that we had to consider because if you had no idea where each unit was, where they were located at, or exactly where they were maneuvering to during certain portions of the actual attack from Kuwait into Iraq, there could be that possibility. There could be that possibility that certain individuals in those units did not know that they were there and they could possibly try to engage a friendly force because they hear gunfire, they hear explosions or whatever may be going on. So that was very important. That is where this drill came into play because with all the color-coded jerseys and numbers on the jerseys, it helped tremendously. And with that, you know, they actually wrote all the numbers and a color on every vehicle that we took out there just to help to identify that particular unit with a letter the number exactly the same way that they had rehearsed in this first training event rehearsal that they conducted out there in Kuwait. Next week, we're going to take a look at the actual training calibration in Kuwait, what the division actually did, what more training did they conduct in order to prepare them to head into Iraq and find their way all the way into Baghdad. Hero, Hero Highlight. This week in our Hero Highlights, we're going to take a look at the citation for the Medal of Honor of Private First Class Henry Girk of the United States Marine Corps. Henry Girk was born in Niche, North Dakota on 6 November of 1922. Baptized in the Lutheran Church, he attended the local schools. After graduation from high school in 1940, he entered the Civilian Conservation Corps, CCC in July and was stationed in Lairmore, North Dakota. He stayed in the CCC until October of 1941 and rose to the position of assistant leader, then returned to Niche where he drove a two-ton truck into his enlistment in the Marine Corps on 15 April of 1942. Private Gurk went to recruit training at the Marine Corps Recruit Depot, San Diego, California then went into the 2nd Separate Pack Howitzer Battalion of the 22nd Marines and was in Charlie Battery only one month before shipping overseas on the SS Lorraine on 39 July of 1942. Three and a half months after his enlistment into the Marines, he landed in Apia, Upalu, British Samoa, one month later. Within two weeks, the 3rd Battalion, 22nd Marines, with Private Girk's battery attached, went to Uvia Islands on the Wallace Islands to relieve the 3rd Battalion, 7th Marines, which left to rejoin the 1st Marine Division, then engaged in the grueling fight at Guadalcanal. 
In September, Private Girk was transferred to the Company D 3rd Raider Battalion. After four months at Wallace, the Raiders left for Pago Pago, American Samoa. Stayed there about three weeks, then moved southern to Espiritu Santos in the New Hebrides, landing there in January of 1943. The following month, the Raiders went over to Guadalcanal for a few days en route to the Russell Islands. This was not to be the hope for long prepared for combat though. Pavo Islands and the Russells was occupied without opposition by Private Girk's battalion from the 21 February to 18 March. The battalion returned to Espiritu Santo in March and on 1 August of 1943, the 6-foot, 1-inch, 179-pound Marine was promoted to Private First Class. Transferred to Company M, 3rd Raider Battalion, 2nd Raider Regiment of the 1st Marine Amphibious Corps in June, PFC Girk was at Namoa, New Caldenoa in October and finally met the enemy in Bougainville in November. He celebrated his 21st birthday on 6th November and three days later gave his life for a fellow Marine and for the country he had served well for the past 19 months. Private First Class Girk was in a shallow two-man foxhole with a fellow Marine, a Browning Automatic Rifleman, BAR man, around dawn of 9 November delivering a fierce stream of fire against the advancing Japanese in defense of a vital roadblock in the area near Empress Augusta Bay. Judging from the increased force of the enemy, grenade attack, the enemy was determined to annihilate him and his buddy because of the fierce effective fire they were rendering. PFC Gurk roughly thrust the companion aside from a Japanese grenade that landed in their foxhole and threw himself on the deadly missile. For his unswerving devotion to duty and on common valor in the face of the enemy, President Franklin D. Roosevelt posthumously awarded the Medal of Honor to PFC Gurk. The medal was presented to his parents at ceremonies at the Navy Department on 31 May 1944. The Assistant Secretary of the Navy made the presentation in the name of the President. The body of PFC Girk was originally buried at Bougainville and later moved to Munda, New Georgia and then Finchifan, New Guinea and was finally re-entered for burial in Union Cemetery, Niche, North Dakota. The Quarterdeck if you're just joining us, you've been listening to The Quarterdeck with your host, Miguel the Gunny Signs. And thank you again for joining us this week on another episode. As this week, we covered a lot more and we continued with our reading of our book with the 1st Marine Division in Iraq 2003, No Greater Friend, No Worst Enemy. And we were able to take a look at how the division was actually conducting the training to help them to find the NBC attacks that were imminent that were going to happen because they knew that Saddam Hussein had those capabilities and they had to be ready in the event that those events actually happened. This week in our Hero Highlights, we took a look at the story, the heroism of Private First Class Henry Girk of the United States Marine Corps. Another hero, another great Marine that selflessly gave his own life in order to save another fellow Marine. And just like we always talk about as Trent, these are the kind of individuals that were in the Marine Corps back then and these were young young individuals the same way that it is today the marine corps by far has the average youngest service members of all of the services 
And that's a great thing because they're more willing to fight. They're eager. They're hungry. And they want to go ahead and do what they enlisted for, and that is to defend this great country of ours. So that's another look at another great and wonderful hero. And then we're going to continue next week with our reading of our book, talk about all these different things that have been going on, as well as taking a look at another great hero that we're going to look at next week to ensure that we understand exactly the history, the traditions of the Marine Corps and all the heroes that came before us. So again, thank you guys. And always remember, you can join us every single week on any of your podcasting applications that are out there. You can just simply do a Google of the quarter deck with gunny signs and they will give you a humongous list of all the different platforms that you're more than capable of listening to our podcast every single week. Don't forget to go ahead and give us a like and follow so this way you are aware and you are notified as soon as a new episode on Thursday posts and it's ready for you to download and to listen for the week. Here's to you enjoying your week, having a great weekend and enjoying it with your family. Until next week, this is Miguel of the Gunny Signs sounding Liberty Call. Get off the bus! I do solemnly swear. I do solemnly swear. That I will support and defend the Constitution. The Constitution of the United States. Against all enemies, foreign and domestic.